Thanks, Pam. Always a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> yes. Exactly. We do laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, these are comedic thrillers. That's what I call them. There's a lot of comedy in them, and it's mainly because of Jake's quirkiness and his view of the world and his interactions with Nicole and Pancake and Ray. And, and there's a lot of humor there. It's basically a sitcom, but it deals with dark issues. He's always involved in real crimes with really bad people. And this one's no different. The, there's some really bad people here, but it's a guy that has a cult. And Macy, it's not a religious cult. It's not one of those. I find those almost cliche-ish now, but there's too many of them. But this is a financial cult. So think Bernie Madoff and Jeffrey Epstein, that kind of thing. And he has this place in the Magnolia Springs, Alabama, down close to the Gulf Coast, beautiful area. And it's a retreat. And he gets people there to invest with him and, and make themselves better and all that. But some young girls start missing. And Jake and Nicole, Ray asked them to go seek out joining this cult. They would be primary what they need because Jake's an ex-professional ball player, has cachet. Nicole's written a screenplay that was a major blockbuster. So they're exactly the kind of people this cult's looking for. And so Ray sends them in. And, of course, complications ensue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Most of them do. Yeah. <laughs> They're selling a book. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Up marketing. They up market everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's close. It's, <laughs> yeah. Kane Harper, well, there's three of those books, and I'm working on the fourth one in that series. Um, I had a two-book deal with Ocean View uh, for this book and the next one, and I was working on the next Kane Harper book because I like to go back and forth. But I said, let's go ahead and write the next Jake book because I had an idea for a good story I thought would be fun. It's going to be called Unbalanced. It has to do with embezzlement and murder. But uh, I said, let's go ahead and write that one and get it off the table. And then I'm I'm covered for a while there, and then I can move on and uh, get back to uh, Kane and Harper. So that's what I'm doing now. 
Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Um, You know, I grew up in the South, and you you understand this is more than most people that that you have to be able to tell a story in the South, and nobody trusts you. They may not even feed you, you know, so they might let you wither behind the barn. But um, everybody can tell a story. Everybody can spin a yarn, and, and I think it comes from that whole Appalachian rundown. You know, that's the Scotch Irish settled Appalachia. And, you know, who besides the Scots and the Irish sit in bars and tell lies? I mean, you know, they're great at it. They're masters at it. And it's been that way for centuries. And so I think that storytelling tradition passed down. And then if you look at the South 50 years ago to 200 years ago, it was poor. They didn't have much electricity. They couldn't afford anything. They were farmers. They were scraping by on the land. And they got up with the sun and they went down with the sun. So when they would have dinner, they would sit around and tell stories by the fireside because that was their entertainment. They didn't have, they couldn't afford books. And of course there was no TV or radio or anything back then. So I think that tradition just kept going. So I always, I always knew I could always tell a story, but writing a story, it's a different animal. So 25 years ago, I said, let's give this a shot. And uh, I took some classes at UCI and just started writing. And I found out, well, number one, it's hard. And number two, well, it's not that hard. It's kind of like telling a story, except you got to spend, you, you can't spend it in 20 minutes. You can't spend the yarn in a bar in 20 minutes. Maybe you can spend it in 200 hours, <laughs> you know, in front of a computer or with a pad and paper, but you can't spend it in 20 minutes. So, uh, and that was, that was the process. Like everything else, you learn. You learn by reading and you learn by writing. Oh, absolutely. Impossible. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I think some people are born with the ability to see that and other people, when they, you read enough stories, it by osmosis gets in your brain, how to tell a story. You know, you start with a, with a joke, a joke's a three act play. You know, there's the setup, there's the twist, there's the payoff. And that so are books and so are stories and, you know, ghost stories, everything, you name it. They all follow that pattern naturally. It's just human nature. Well, <laughs> I wanted Jake to be a slacker. I wanted him to not be me, you know, <laughs> because I, I'm always... own point and doing and uh, yeah, at least when I was practicing full time it was you know 24/7 always yeah 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 I I I I keep my eye on the ball and I keep moving forward I, it's just the way I I was raised probably the way I was born DNA whatever but uh, that's just the way I was and I've had friends that were so type B they were so laid back they were infuriating but then there was also 
God, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just not worry. It just, it's, it's going to take care of itself. Well, things don't take care of themselves, but a lot of people believe that and they get through life. I wanted Jake to be this good looking guy who is an ex pro athlete who basically is a slacker and he buys a bar and a restaurant. And he just kicks back and life rolls by like the Mississippi and he's got his feet propped up. Not a worry in the world, except the people he interfaces with Nicole pancake and Ray, they rattle his world and he doesn't like it. He wants to get back on the beach and he wants to get back at his bar and he wants to sit and relax, but things happen and push him out of his comfort zone. But I wanted him to be a likable guy, but a guy with his ambitions pretty much over with. He's just now floating through life. Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's kind of tall and like he's, he's about about six three and he he, he one ninety and he he was a pitcher on in the major league baseball pitcher so he's kind of lean and mean and he, and he's a good looking guy, but he's just incredibly laid back, and so you know everybody likes him everybody likes Jake no he doesn't have enemies, but he also doesn't have ambitions. So, you know. <laughs> Exactly. And he didn't take that very seriously either. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Well, it was by force. I mean, you know, his dad, Ray, who's a no, no, Ray drove him crazy. And then basically it was Nicole. Uh, and they met because in the very first book, the very first scene of Deep Six, he's taking somebody out, you know, that's a, a they think is a, a uh, an adulteress and he, Ray talks Jake into going and watching her house one night. And of course, Jake has a couple of pops of bourbon and kicks back and goes to sleep because that's what Jake does. And of course, the woman gets murdered right under his nose and he doesn't know about it. Uh, and he meets Nicole that night and uh, then they're together after that. So now Nicole gets into all this stuff because she writes murder screenplays, murder mystery screenplays. And so everything that, that, that Ray wants, Nicole's on board with, oh, yeah, 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 let's go do this. We're on it. And Jake's like, no, 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 but he, wherever Nicole goes, he's going to go. So he follows her, you know, think uh, uh, Tracy and Hepburn, you know, uh, Sam and Diane, you know, Ricky and Lucy, you know. <laughs> Nick and Nora, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, totally different. The Kane Harper series are are is much darker. Uh, Kane and Harper are basically non-biological brother and sister that were raised by a gypsy family throughout the South from the time. Uh, Kane was maybe, uh, Bobby Kane was maybe two or three months old and was abandoned and then scooped up by the family. And Harper at about the same time at one year was purchased from an alcoholic mother who was half Cherokee. So they were raised together. I mean, they were raised as siblings. They slept in the same bed their whole lives, really, because then the family got taken down by the FBI because they made a lot of crimes. But guess what? They trained these two characters to do their thing. Bobby Kane became a, an excellent second story thief and Harper became an excellent con artist. 
She could talk you into anything and cry at the drop of the hat. And of course, the gypsy family used that. And then Bobby was an expert with knives. And they both end up with their military careers and then losing touch with each other for 15 years and coming back together. I like that whole gypsy culture. Now, we're not talking romance, you know, Romanian. We're, we're talking Irish travelers, they called them in the South. But, you know, I, and I remember seeing them as a kid. You know, and I remember one day my dad and I were driving, and here comes this wagon train pulled by horses. This is the 1950s, and they were going to the fairgrounds at, in, in Huntsville, Alabama, in Madison County, right where, right where I grew up. And I said, Dad, who are those? And he said, well, they're gypsies. I said, well, what are they doing? He said, they're going over the fairgrounds. They're going to put on shows for the next few nights, and then they'll move on. And that's what they do. They move around. I said, Wow. And then later in medical school, they would come into the medical center and have babies twice a year. And we would uh, see them then. Now they had upgraded to motor homes and pickup trucks. But the same thing. And that culture fascinated me. And I always wanted to create a character that could do that, but also characters that were fixers. Uh, well, a grifter is uh, is someone who who basically is scamming people, uh, and and so yeah, I mean, a, a gypsy can be a grifter because they can grift people. Uh, they set up scams, they set up false 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 things, and 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 get people to buy into their their stick. But gypsies also live off the land. I mean, they move around and they make a living by, they do odd jobs. You know, they'll usually work in construction, doing roofing or building or something. Uh, but they never stay long, so they can't, they have to do these periodic jobs. And then, of course, they'll steal you blind, you know. Exactly, exactly. And I like that. There's something about that. Even though I could never do it, I, there's not a chance in hell I could ever do it. No, I like I like roots. I like roots, but yeah, these people don't have roots, but they survive. They're survivors. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, they can do that stuff because they put on little shows and stuff. And, you know, Bobby became an expert with a knife. And by age seven, he was known as Bobby Blade. And he was kind of the centerpiece of these little shows they would put on. And he could throw the knife mainly at Harper, who was holding stuff, you know, for him to throw. But he became an expert with knives, which, of course, plays into his whole military career where he becomes a point of the spear assassin. And, of course, now that they're back in civilian life and are fixers, oh, yeah, Bobby's knife play comes into every story. And Harper's, Harper's ability to manipulate people comes into every story. Mm -hmm. Right. People just started asking me questions. You know, I've always been of the opinion that education is is the cornerstone to everything. You you got to keep you got to keep moving forward with your brain, and you got to be curious about stuff. But I also believe that once you learn something, it's static until you pass it on to someone else. So it it is an evolving a flow down the river, if you will, like the Mississippi. Knowledge has to just tumble downhill. And everybody's smart in something and everybody's stupid in something. 
So, so if you're smart in something, teach someone who doesn't understand it. If you don't understand something, ask someone who does know. So, you know, as a physician, at the time you go to start medical school, some reason people think that you're an expert on everything in the world that has to do with medicine, even though you've been in medical school for a week. Um, it, but they'll ask you questions about their cholesterol and their gallbladder and their prostate and all that crap. And so you go to a cocktail party and they find out you're a doctor. You know, they ask for a friend, a friend of mine, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when you go to a writer's conference, they want to know what dead bodies look like and how you kill people and how poisons work and, you know, how the gunshots look and how do you treat them and all that stuff. So, you just know, started getting asking those questions. And then the next thing you know, you know, I started building a book books on those questions and answers I'd received from people and they started sending me emails and I started answering them. And that's how I got into the screenwriting world too, is exactly the same way. Bless you. Fifty something. I can't remember what the number is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DPLyleMD.com. Mm Just don't forget one caveat. What I don't know, I make up, so be careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you, what you do with the uh, authors on the air. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much. I mean, I find that um, back in the day, uh, you'd go to bookstores and, you know, there'd be a bunch of people there and then you'd buy books and sign them. Uh, I don't see that happening much anymore. People, people, I mean, obviously if you're, if you James Patterson and T. Jefferson Parker, you something that you know they'll show up. They'll show up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and if you do that, that's fine. But the rest of us out here in, in the middle of the world, uh, the middle of the writing world, um, you know, your friends and family show up, and a few other people, and that's about it. And then people don't 
buy hardback books and, you know, signed and all. They don't care about that anymore so much, relatively speaking. It's all electronic now. And so, <laughs> but it's, it's like, and, and selling books is electronic now. You know, it's, it's all, even if people buy a hardback, you reach people through this media. Yeah. Yeah. You don't meet them in the face-to-face stuff anymore. And the pandemic really, you know, hit bookstores hard. Yeah. Even and so it was something that was already declining and then it got hit right in the face and it's really slowed all that down. So not so much. Uh, you know, I, I read a lot of, uh, uh, of my feeds, you know, on, on uh, po- uh, po- uh, different newsletters and different things like that, um, that my RSS feeds and all that. I, I re- read through those every day. Um, and then I'll find, even on the news sites that I see, there's usually articles on there that I want to read. But I scan them very quickly because most of them are fluff and you can find the meat pretty quickly. Um, but I do. I read all kinds. I mean, like. The two books I just finished is, uh, oh, I can never remember the name. Yeah, it's uh, Linda Castillo's latest uh, Amish, uh, Kate, Kate Burkholder Amish series. Everybody should read that series. It is just fantastic. Go back to the beginning and read the whole thing. I think this is the 15th book. And then I also finished uh, Zero Sum, which is Joyce Carol Oates' latest uh, short story collection. And she's amazing. I mean, she's just amazing. The, the volume, the volume of stuff that she creates and the cleverness with which she does it, the quirkiness with which she does a lot of it, the way she writes, some of the sentences are like Faulkner and some of them are like Elmore Leonard, you know, and it's back and forth. Her range is unbelievable and everyone should read her stuff because you learn something. It's, it's almost like Ulysses, you know, where he wrote every chapter in a different method. It's like every short story she writes has a different method to how she's telling the story. And I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you can't. And you can't go back. You find. You find out. I'll find. I'm trying to listen to an audio book, and then I'm writing my book. If something they'll say or twist or something, I'll start thinking, okay, and then I'll start thinking about, and I'll start creating a scene, and there'll be dialogue, and there'll be setting, and, there'll be, and then suddenly I'll think, oh, wait a minute, where was I? Well, you, now you've moved a chapter along in the story, and you, you don't have a clue what's going on anymore. Now, that, that said, I can listen to educational stuff. I can listen to lectures because I've absorbed that while I'm thinking about something else because it's a different thing. It's a different part of the brain. And so I listen to uh, Wonderum, the, the great courses. Uh, the teaching company stuff, which are college level classes. I, I probably listen to 70 or 80 of them. And I listen to them all the time when I'm in the car. Yeah.
Yes. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to August. <laughs> yes. Thank you.